Let's open up our Bibles, please, to the book of Colossians chapter 4. And while we're doing that, I want to pray for the offering. I want to pray that God will bless the offering in, in whatever way, shape, or form that you choose to support the church financially. Uh, we really appreciate your loyalty. You know, it's been months now uh, since we've been able to have regular services and even regular offerings. And yet, God has been faithful. He's been so faithful to take care of the needs of our church. And uh, all I can do is say thank you, church, for being loyal and being faithful and committed to the support financially of our church. So we're going to go to Colossians chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. I'm going to pray for the reading of the scriptures, and I'm also going to pray for the blessing of the offering. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we now get into the holy word of God, we want to thank you for everyone that's here this evening, Lord God. We pray that you would bless the reading of your word, anoint it, and give it life. We want to pray also for the offering, Lord God. Uh, this is a representation of our hard work, of our labor, of the sweat of our brow. And Lord, we this is a personal financial investment into our church, Lord God, into the, uh, the support of our congregation. And so, Lord, I pray that you will bless the gift and the giver, bless the reading of your word, anoint this message, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Very good. Okay, Colossians chapter 4, starting at verse 12. I'm going to read all the way through from verse 12 through 14, and the Bible says this. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Again, we are learning about the different men that were part of the Apostle Paul's ministry team. Uh, we learned about Tychicus and Onesimus and artist Aristarchus and Mark and Barnabas and Jesus, who is called Justice. Last week, we learned about Epaphras. He was probably the founder and the pastor of the church at Colossae, and we learned about his life. I wish we would have had time to look at the rest of verse 12 where it says, he is always wrestling in prayer for you. We talked about how he was a faithful prayer warrior and how how important prayer is to all of us. And then it says that you may stand firm. Church, uh, there's a whole sermon on how important it is that no matter what happens, no matter what storms come our way, no matter what kind of hurricanes come our way, we have to stand firm in Christ. Can you say amen, church? And then it says in the rest of that verse, in verse 12, it says, uh, mature and fully assured. That is my prayer for all of us, that we would all be mature Christians, not baby, whiny, complaining, sensitive, delicate, sissy Christians, that we would be mature men and women of God. Let's grow up and let's take life seriously and to the devil's face. Can you say amen? But in order to do that, you've got to be mature and you've got to be fully assured of who you are in Christ, confident in who you are in Christ. Again, there's a whole bunch of messages there, but we're going to move on and learn about another individual that we want to get into for today. And today we're going to be looking at the life of a man named Luke. And this is in verse 14. It tells us that Luke was a doctor. Let me read to you again Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. It says this, Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas 
send greetings. Okay, so we know here that the Bible tells us that Luke is a doctor, an actual medical doctor. What else do we know about Luke? We know that he wrote the gospel of Luke. Okay, we have the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So this doctor, Luke, he wrote the gospel of Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts. As a matter of fact, if you take the total amount of material that Luke wrote, we learn that he is the greatest contributor to our Bible in the New Testament. Luke wrote more than even the Apostle Paul wrote with all of his letters and all of his doctrine. He, uh, Luke actually wrote more than the Apostle Paul. And what is interesting is that there are four places that list the names of the 12 apostles. Matthew chapter 10 verses 1 through 4. Mark chapter 3 verses 13 through 19. Luke chapter 6 verses 12 through 19. And in Acts chapter 1 verses 12 through 26. All those list the names of the 12 apostles. And I want to just take one of these lists found in the book of Matthew chapter 10 verses 1 through 4. Listen to what it says here about the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles. It says this. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. And gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, what is interesting is that this in this list and in all the other three lists that are listed in the Bible, uh, who the apostles were, Luke does not appear in any of this. He was in any of these. He was not an apostle. He was not one of the disciples of Christ listed there as one of the twelve. And we know all all we know about Luke is that once he joined the ministry team, he traveled with the Apostle Paul on his missionary trips and was able to document all of the events that we find in the book of Acts. Okay? Now, the advantage about having someone like Luke to actually document the events is that he is a medical doctor and he has a perspective that others probably would not have. For example, except for Matthew, who was a tax collector, all the other apostles were common men, common laborers, fishermen. Even Christ our Lord worked as a common man, as a carpenter. But Luke was a medical doctor. So when the document, when he documents certain events in the life and ministry of the apostle Paul, he is able to give us an actual medical report of an incident. And that's really important. On his first missionary journey, for example, when the Apostle Paul and his team were in Lystra and Derby, Paul and Barnabas began to pray for this man that is lame, completely paralyzed. Can't walk, can't do anything. He's a beggar. And notice that Luke, who is writing under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, is careful to give us some important details. I want to read about this account in the book of Acts, chapter 14, verses 8 through 18. Let's read about this first missionary journey that Luke documents in the book of Acts about this healing that took place. Acts chapter 14, verse 8 says this. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. 
He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Now, as a medical doctor, Luke is able to validate for all of us that the man was truly lame from birth and had never walked. As a medical doctor, he was able to validate that this man was healed by the power of Jesus' name. Can you shout hallelujah, church? Okay. As a medical doctor, Luke is able to document that this man was lame from birth, and now he was able to jump and walk and dance and twirl and skip and do jumping jacks and all kinds of stuff. Okay? He's able to document this. Now, to be, not to be demeaning, but I think that we can all agree that there is a difference, a big difference, between a fisherman telling me that someone is really healed and a medical doctor documenting that a man has been supernaturally or miraculously healed. How many of you would agree that there's a difference between a fisherman and a doctor that knows medical stuff? Would you guys all agree with that? Can you say amen? Okay? Let me give you another example. This is a real situation that really happened. If any of you have ever taken my basic doctrine class, when we talk about Jesus Christ as a divine healer, healing that comes from God, healing that comes when the doctors tell you there's no hope, there's no remedy, there's no cure, there's no medicine, there's nothing medically that they can do to help bring healing to your body. So you need a miracle. You need a supernatural act of God to receive healing. So that's what we call divine healing. Okay, we talk about that because Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. He, can, he did it yet yesterday, and he can do it today. Can you say amen, church? So anyways, I always give this testimonial about this man named Max Ferrer. He used to live in Selmar. Today, he lives in the state of Oregon. Okay, he moved away, unfortunately, but we used to bring him in to give his testimony. The reason why we used to bring him in is because he got in a real, I'm going to make this really quick, got in a real serious car accident, half his body was crushed, he swallowed a bunch of poison, as a result of that he had a lot of operations, and the poison that he swallowed uh, shriveled up or dried up one of his kidneys, okay? And he shares his testimony of how God supernaturally healed him and gave him a brand new kidney on top of the shriveled up kidney. All right. Now, here's the thing, though. 
It's just a normal guy from Silmar telling you a story about what God did for him and giving him a brand new kidney, okay? So in the back of my mind, when I hear a regular guy, a normal guy, an everyday guy, or a lady tell me a testimony of the power of God, it's sad to say that even Pastor Jerry, and way, way back in the, in the back of his mind, Pastor Jerry saying, I wonder if that is really true. I wonder if maybe they're exaggerating just a little bit about the miracle that God gave them. But you know what is so cool about Max Ferrer? When he gives his testimony, not only does he share what God does, but he brings the x-rays of the medical doctor's reports with him when he gives his testimony because he knows how Pastor Jerry thinks. He knows how Pastor Jerry doubts about the power of God and the miracle, supernatural working power of God. And so he brings his x-rays. And in the x-ray, guess what? It shows a brand new kidney on top of the shriveled up dead kidney on the x-ray. That way, Pastor Jerry cannot doubt it one little bit. That's what I mean. When a medical doctor gives you a documented truth about a supernatural act of God, it makes a difference. Can you shout hallelujah, church? And that's what Dr. Luke is doing here. Then check out what else happens on this same trip and in these same two cities. In Acts chapter 14, verses 19 and 20, it says this. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up. And went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Do you know what? Paul was actually dead and then came back to life again. How do we know this? Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28. It says this. This is the Apostle Paul writing. And he says this. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent the night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked because everything else I face daily, beside everything else, I face daily the pressure on, of my concern over all the churches. In verse 23, the Apostle Paul tells us that he was exposed to death multiple times. Listen to this, what the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the very next chapter in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It says this in verse 2. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. 
God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. Now, everyone agrees that the Apostle Paul actually did die. He had an out-of-body experience. His spirit went to heaven, but then his spirit returned, which means his life returned to his body, and he recovered and went on with the ministry. So if we go back to Acts chapter 14, verses 19 and 20, when Paul was left for dead. Let me read it again. It says this. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. They were thinking he was dead because, church, he actually was dead. And at this time, when he was actually dead, he experienced going up to the third heaven, which is where God dwells. The first heaven is the heaven that we see with our naked eye, the sky. How many of you have seen the full moon that's out right now? Okay, That is the first heaven. Beyond that is the solar system. That's the second heaven. And the third heaven is where God dwells. Okay, this is all documented by Luke, who is a medical doctor. All of the healings that the ministry team witnessed were all documented by a medical doctor. All the miracles and supernatural works of God that were witnessed by the team were all documented by Luke, the doctor. How many of you understand that when a medical doctor documents something, it makes a difference? It's not just a normal guy. No, this is a medical doctor who knows his stuff, and he's documenting everything in detail so that you and I could have it on record today. Of the power of God. So even though Luke is not on any list of apostles, he was a key person chosen by the Holy Spirit to document close to 30% of the information found in the entire New Testament. Almost 30% of the entire New Testament is written by Luke, the doctor. That is more than the Apostle Paul. That is more than what Peter wrote or John wrote or any of the other apostles. Luke's name appears in the Bible in three places. Philemon chapter 1, verses 23 and 24 says this. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow Workers. The second place that we see his name is in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. That's our text for tonight. And then the third place that we see his name is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 11. Let me read that to you. It says this in verse 6. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, because 
For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Christians has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Second Timothy is the very last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. Paul knew that he was about to die. He supernaturally knew that Caesar was going to kill him. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Let me read it again because this is how we know that the Apostle Paul knew that his time was coming. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. He knew that he was going to end up dying really soon. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. At the end of the Apostle Paul's journey, in the final days of his life, what does the Apostle Paul tell us? And what does Luke the doctor document for us? 2 Timothy 4.11 Only Luke is with me. Let me say that again. Only Luke is with me. We don't know when Luke actually joined up with the Apostle Paul. There are all kinds of speculations, but since the Bible is not really clear or doesn't directly tell us when Luke joined up with the Apostle Paul, I'm not going to mention when Luke joined with the Apostle Paul in ministry because we don't have a clear answer for that. But regardless of when Luke actually hooked up with the Apostle Paul, we do know something for a fact. And that fact is this. Luke proved to be a faithful and loyal partner to the Apostle Paul to the very end. At the end of Paul's journey and in his ministry and in his life, Paul tells us that the only one that was there by his side was his partner and brother in Christ, Luke. And this leads us to the next person that was part of the Apostle Paul's team. And his name is Demas. Colossians chapter 4. Verse 14, which is our text, says this. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Now, Demas is mentioned in Philemon chapter 1, verse 24, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, and in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. You'll see him mentioned there. And here we learn something that really breaks my heart when I read it. It really breaks my heart. Because we go from talking about Luke who was faithful to the ministry from beginning to end. And now we talk about Demas, who sadly, the Bible tells us, turned his back on the ministry. Listen to what 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 12 says. I'm going to read it again. It says, Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has, de- has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. What does verse 10 say? It says, For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. Remember what happened to Lot's wife when they were released or set free from Sodom and Gomorrah. And the angels, it was specifically Jesus says, Don't look back. Whatever you do, don't look back. Back When you escape from Sodom and Gomorrah and I send you out there, don't look back. And what happened to Lot's wife? The Bible says she looked back to the world, to that place that she was leaving. 
and she turned into a pillar of salt. Well, guess what? Demas, because he loved this world, deserted the Apostle Paul in the ministry. Demas started off as a faithful man of God and serving the Lord. But sadly, in the end, he fizzled out. Church, this is a warning to all of us. I don't care how strong you think you are in Christ, how committed you are you, uh, you are in Christ, no matter how dedicated you think you are in Christ, all of us are vulnerable if we do not stay close to Christ 24-7. Are you guys listening to what I'm saying? All of us, I don't care who you are. We are all vulnerable if we're not careful in how we live our lives on this earth. You know, it is, very, uh, it is a very sad thing when we hear of men and women of God who begin their journey in ministry with Christ so faithfully. They're so dedicated. They're so committed. So in love with Jesus. But in the end, for many different reasons, they give up or they are distracted, or they lose interest, or they get bored, or they straight up rebel, or they get hurt by someone or by something, or they don't get the attention that they think that they want, or the recognition that they think that they deserve, and they get an attitude, and they start having a pity party, and they start getting all emotional, and they start pointing the finger, and they start crying like little babies. That's why the Bible says, dude, you got to grow up. Because if you don't grow up, you're going to get caught up in your emotions and you're going to fade away and get all messed up. There's all kinds. I mean, I can go on and on giving you reasons why people give up on Jesus and choose to go back to the world and back to the devil. This is why the parable of the sower is so important for all of us to remember. I want to end the sermon here tonight by just simply reading the parable of the sower and its interpretation. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Now remember, Demas was a very faithful and committed and dedicated and loyal man of God. And he was part of Paul's team. But something happened. Something happened. And the Bible tells us straight up that Demas deserted the call and his walk and his life. And he went back to the world. That's what the Bible says. He went back into the world. Listen to what it says here in Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9. It says this. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large, crowd, large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. While all the people stood on the, on the shore, then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And then it gives us the interpretation in Matthew chapter 13, verses 18 through 23. It says this. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, 
The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So those are people who hear the word of God, and it doesn't, it just bounces right off. It doesn't affect them for whatever reason. It doesn't click. I know so many people like that, some of my own fam family members like that. I mean, man, they hear the truth. It's hardcore to their, in their face, and it's just like they're numb. It, it, they don't get it. Then, the, it. then it says this in verse 20. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. I mean, these people, they catch fire. Something happens and, and they catch fire. With God, verse 21. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. Now, in the kingdom of God, a short time can be one year or 10 years or 20 years. Because this journey that we're on is a long journey, church. They last only a short time. When, listen to this. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, because of the word, they quickly fall away. Verse 22, the seed fallen among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Verse 23, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Church, let me say this. It doesn't really how you begin. It's not really important how you began your journey. What's important is how you finish. How you finish. All God cares about is that you finish the race. He doesn't care if you come in first place or second place or third place or fourth, fourth place or if you're dragging last place as long as you finish. He wants you to finish. Okay? And he doesn't really care if you're a pastor or a leader or just someone sitting in the pew or out there doing whatever you do. He's not concerned about that. He wants you to be faithful to what you do. He wants you to do it with all of your heart. He wants you to do it unto Jesus, and he wants you to finish it, to finish to the end. That's all God cares about. So no matter what happens in life, storms and problems and hurt and pain and backbiting and backstabbing and devastation and, 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 and people letting you down and pastors letting you down and churches letting you down and all kinds of drama and all this other stuff that happens in life, God says, don't worry about that. Just finish the race. Just finish. And you'll be blessed. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray right now, God, that we will learn both from Luke and from Demas. That we would learn from Luke that no matter what happens, we need to stay faithful to the end. And that we need to learn from Demas that we've all got to be careful, including Pastor Jerry. Because at any time, Lord God, something can blindside us. Something can happen. And all of a sudden, we start on a course of destruction. Help us, Lord, to choose life. If you're here tonight and you say, Jerry, I am not a Christian. I have never surrendered my life to Jesus. And I want to do that here right now. Just lift up your hand and we will pray. Anyone at all says, Jerry, I am not a Christian. And I want to surrender my life to the Lord here right now. Just lift up your hand. Those of you online, again, 
If you're out there listening and you say, Jerry, I want to receive Jesus. I want to surrender my life to God. I need the Lord. I don't want to run my own program anymore. I don't want to live my own life anymore. I know that God is real, and I know that I have to come to him, and, and, and I, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. If that's you, just repeat this prayer. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I humble myself, and I come to you, and I acknowledge that I need you. You are Lord. You are God, and I need you to be my Savior. Save me, Lord. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I willingly open the door to my heart and I ask you, Jesus, to come in. Take over my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's believe God that God has touched someone's heart. Amen. That the Word of God penetrated their heart, didn't bounce off that it penetrated their heart, and that they came to Jesus. God bless all of you, church.